Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We appreciate you being here and we have another great guest in store. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETF's Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Winston. And joining us this week is Cliff Winston, the Searle Freedom Trust Senior Fellow in the Brookings Institution's Economic Studies Program and the co-author of a new book titled Autonomous Vehicles, The Road to Economic Growth. There's a question mark there. Thanks for jumping on with us, Cliff. Thanks for having me. Very nice to have you, Cliff. And we'll start off with a little bit of an overview, uh, Cliff. What is at the heart of the book and why it was written? Well, the heart of the book really is to appeal initially to the transportation economists, of which that's the area which I work, who've been concerned about problems of congestion and safety in the highway system for a long time. And to point out that we now have sort of a game changer in this new technology that could potentially address these problems, but then have broader economic implications in terms of economic growth, which then sort of segues to sort of the second constituency, which is the broader economics profession, which I'm trying to sort of get interested in transportation economics. And this is an area that would be attractive because then it's just not limited to quote the narrow transportation sector, but the argument in the book is look by improving um, highways and the importance of the distribution system that will affect labor markets, international trade, and so on, which is gonna have possible implications for economic growth than attracting you know, that broader economic constituency. And then finally, trying to attract policymakers to realize, look, this is a big deal. It's not even limited to the great benefits of reducing congestion and improving safety, but again, something that can spur economic growth. But I would say the, the sort of big message, in some ways similar to the main lesson that we ought to get out of the pandemic is preparation matters. This is not something that's gonna happen overnight and just because of success of the private sector. They can obviously provide the technology and do the testing, but the public sector policymakers have to be actively involved in facilitating the success of autonomous vehicles. And they have to make a lot of preparations to do so, including probably most importantly changing the economic policies that have compromised non-autonomous vehicles so much. So in a sense, it's sort of intended to be a warning to try to get public policymakers you know, on board and to start taking actions now to prepare the world for autonomous vehicles. Well, what are some of the things that, that you would advocate that they do? That, I suppose that's what they would ask you. What do you mean? Okay, so the three obvious things. First, you know, nationally, we've got to get the plan in place for testing and adoption. You know, at this point, you know, we've just had sort of a very decentralized approach. Certain cities and states are doing this, but this is really something that the federal government should and is really ultimately responsible for taking the lead on. You know, the legislation never passed in Congress, and it's unfortunate it should have, which would have got things going. NHTSA on its own, could have taken the lead and they haven't done so thus far. So first and foremost, get a plan in place for testing and adoption. Secondly, the federal government, probably again in coordination with states, has to start getting a plan in place for saying, look, we need to upgrade the technology on the infrastructure for autonomous vehicles really to work successfully. Now, this is something again that you can work on with the automakers but you know, this is not just gonna be something that cars are driving by themselves without any communication with the network, not to mention, of course, each other. And so various states independently are doing things like this, but some states are not. And you know, I find it interesting that even certain states are in the weeds, for example, in trying to prepare 
for um, autonomous vehicles. For example, bots dots are something that autonomous vehicles do not like. You know, those are those rumble sort of things that come out of the road, let you know that you're going into another lane. They don't like them and they want to see lines. And so, you know, I'm aware of efforts in California to remove bot stops on highways and start painting lines, which autonomous vehicles like. So that's a small thing, but just sort of an example of preparing uh, your infrastructure for autonomous vehicles. Then most importantly, from an economic perspective, all the inefficient policies that have compromised non-autonomous vehicles, the lack of congestion pricing, the lack of efficient investment, all those kinds of things, the lack of adoption of technologies that can improve safety, traffic flow and the like, all those things that you know, people have been criticizing for decades, they really are gonna come home to roost and make it very difficult for autonomous vehicles if they're not addressed. One quick example, you know, consider the damage that potholes cause to cars. And the argument certainly by economists and even engineers that we need to change our pricing and investment policy for trucks, both to have axle weight prices to encourage trucks to use more axles that do less damage to the road and then optimal pavement durability make the roads thicker and more resilient to the damage to pavement. Those are policies that would improve the condition of the pavement and reduce potholes, right? We don't have that and we continue to have you know, the kind of damage we have. Autonomous vehicles are gonna have trouble with potholes. They're not gonna really know to do with them. They'll either run over them, which obviously isn't good for the vehicle, or they'll try to go around them, but obviously that's gonna cause problems to the traffic flow. So that's just an example of a long-standing inefficiency in highway policy that really needs to be remedied to make autonomous, autonomous vehicles as effective as they could be. So yeah, Cliff, those, those are all you know, you know, really wonderful things. Let me let me see if if I can ask some questions in a slightly different direction. Okay, not. I, I look at these things as the as the real opportunity is to level the playing field in mobility and to look not necessarily at the uh, maximizing of economic value in other words the integral of the economic distribution value distribution over the population but in fact to make it more level more better distributed and especially in the times that we're that we're living in now, this is even more important. And I I, I see the opportunity of these things, and I, and I sort of that's why I hate you know concepts of level five type of thing. That we're I don't think there's a business case for me owning a driverless vehicle. I mean, somebody's going to set up a, a mobility service with these things. It's going to do a heck of a lot better job at delivering that to me to just use to get from A to B than for me using it myself and having it in my driveway other than may tell my, my friend Henry in the back, look at how great I am. I have one, but, you know, besides all that junk. Uh, but, but really, to me, this is, this is a real opportunity to, to look at the mobility disadvantage, really disadvantage economically, because they've just not been able to get to jobs. They've had to take terrible transit systems that are just, you know, quality of, of that level of service is so bad compared to what we have with the cars we jump into right outside of our kitchen door and go where to do. do, do, do. Um, what do you what do you think? I mean, yeah. a change in the shape of the economic value curve to flatten it out. Maybe the integral becomes bigger, you know, such that the whole you know economy is better. But but right. so, looking at the shape you know, what, of the curve as, as as opposed to the integral of the curve. Sure. I mean, the usual concerns. You know, when economists went to the world and start saying, "Here's how we ought to you know make policy." is you know, they, they, there's the concern that they're overlooking the redistributive effects of those policies. And there's always this alleged conflict between efficiency and distribution, okay, or leveling the playing field, I think, as you mm -hmm. use the term, it's getting at the same thing. 
I think this is the beauty of autonomous vehicles. It's a win-win both on efficiency and- That's what I think too. And it needs to be said clearly. Say clearly. Go ahead, Cliff. I'm, yeah, let me oh. just elaborate. I mean, you know, the, the, the issues that I was addressing with Fred are clearly efficiency ones. And that for the most part, you know, this is primarily, although not exclusively, where we see public policy having to play a critical role. Is, is enhancing the efficiency of these things. But a byproduct and the success of autonomous vehicles will in a number of ways, not just, just one, have substantial positive redistributive effects. So certainly accessibility, as you mentioned. So obviously there are people who are, there are carless households, but those people then who rely on transit for their you know, two, three hour commutes obviously are hugely disadvantaged and autonomous vehicles will certainly help in that regard uh, in terms of accessibility, employment, elderly who can't drive but want to get some accessibility, get out there, kids who need to get some places. The young, I mean, the all, kids want to go places. All that sort of thing. On, but, as but opposed here to the me. bigger ticket, but here are yeah. now some recent bigger ticket okay. items okay. that I only previewed in my book because events went a little quicker and and i'll probably be writing up list of far follow-up article on this are the two issues of our time the global pandemic and relationships with the police so consider how autonomous vehicles will help there certainly they'll help with social distancing right you can yep. get in you know, if we had them now you're in your vehicle you're not exposed to a driver um I really don't think that it's a major technological challenge to you know, clean the vehicle as, it, as it's transferred to other users. We can have compartments. Look who is it that's actually yeah. still yeah. doesn't have the advantage I have and probably you of working from yeah. home. You know, obviously lower income people have to get to work Absolutely. instead of being exposed on transit you know, where it's much higher risk of, of, of getting COVID, they can be in their autonomous vehicles. That's issue one. Issue two, you're an autonomous vehicle, it's obeying the speed limit. There is little, if any, justification for any altercation with the police involving a moving violation. You're not gonna be speeding. You don't have a broken tail light, okay? I mean, because, because you're using the service, I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, no one's ahead. on the lookout for you drinking or smoking dope. You know, you can be in an autonomous vehicles under the influence, all that kind of thing. And that's just the start. You know, I think oh, no, another thing that's very important to keep in mind is it's very difficult to predict oftentimes the efficiency and distributional effects of an innovation that we start seeing things once they're in place that we didn't anticipate before. And, and, and I speak of this from a transportation perspective of deregulation. You know, a lot of it was thought, oh, it's just gonna you know, benefit certain kinds of travelers but it had much broader distributional effects, especially again on the lower end, making air travel more affordable and accessible to lower income people, enabling shippers to organizing as, organize as bargaining units and get you know, lower rates, all that kind of thing. So I think what we can anticipate now is just the tip of the iceberg. And it is certainly true as, you, as, as you're getting at that both the efficiency and the distributional effects of successful adoption of autonomous vehicles are really making this a game changer. And this is really something that, that is not something that happens very often. You just struck something in my mind. Could you imagine what kind of shape we would be in right now if we had regulation of uh, commercial uh, trucking and so on going on right now with respect to trying to move things around only macro that would be that would well, be so ugly right i mean i think that's a uh, that's an, it's an interesting thought uh, exercise as to what covid tells us about well, our transportation <laughs> system in other words we see the yeah. strengths of the system in really the deregulated surface modes yeah. right I mean, look, look how much the trucks and local I, deliveries have come through, right? Whether it's FedEx, Amazon, whatever, they're coming through. Railroads too, coming through, deregulated, not worried about 
you know, root restrictions and all this kind there, of stuff. There's, but where have we had our problems? On the shelves, in the stores. Exactly. I, mean, I just think if there wasn't, if we were like, you know, the Soviet Union, pre the, pre the wall <laughs> yeah. coming down, you know, where there's two pieces, right, right. pieces of sausage and right. whatever in the, right. in the whole darn place. where are the I problems? Mean, look, the just problems are more on be. the public sector. More on transit is, you know, obviously a very difficult thing to run. Airports are not run terribly well. And then you have the interface between the airlines and the government. You know, try as they might, they have to be sensitive about getting funds from, airline, uh, from the government and so on and so forth. So, you know, again, I think we see the strength of the private sector in innovating and adopting. Autonomous vehicles can do that to some extent, but my concern still is that, you know, you're dealing at this point with public infrastructure and in a sense, government can make or break these vehicles, which is really, again, the sort of warning I'm trying to get out in my book that it's very important for policymakers to get behind this innovation for the broader reasons of efficiency and distribution and realize that you know, they need to take some constructive actions to make this thing a success. One of the one of the comments that, that I sort of make, and I'd like, really love to have your feedback on it, is that is that the real challenge for adoption is the welcoming by the communities and the users to this form of mobility, uh, to really um, uh, protect it and not trash it. Because you know, if we in fact have mobility machines that are driverless, from the time there's nobody around, they're so easy to, you know, goof up and and in some sense it requires it requires the 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 uh, i like to call it the welcoming of that of the uh, fundamental consumers and in fact you and i to say it's okay that these things go down the road in front of in front of our houses it's not going to kill our children and sure. it's not going to you know scare our dogs or you know i don't know what the, what the fears are and 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 that may be that may be more of a or a substantial um, um, uh, impediment, and 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 the, the value of these things is going to have to be seen seen at the and felt at the grassroots and and appreciated at the grassroots. Else it may else it may not happen. How do, how, how does that how does well, again, that happen? This this is you where know? leadership is so important. In, in, in introducing the public to these things. You've written in, I assume you've all written in autonomous vehicles. I have, you know, I, they're great. The biggest problem uh, when I was in one was the non-autonomous vehicles, right? If the, if the, if the yeah. road just had autonomous vehicles, we everything would be great. You know, they yeah. they, they, they yeah. respect the laws, they respect each other, and so on and so forth. But again, this really is public sector management of smartly introducing these things. So I think Again, careful adoption in closed communities, you know, college campuses, you know, cer certain kinds of uh, urban, you know, um, industrial environments, solely and so, and so forth. You know, bringing those in so people see, yes, these things work, they're no problems. Maybe even then, you know, what actually is being done from my understanding in Beijing, autonomous vehicle only roads. Now, they have the luxury to do that, that we apparently don't. But you know, again, that's going to get attention, and that's the kind of thing that would be good to see. So I think the worst thing to do is just you know dumping them out there without any thought about how to you know slowly uh, and carefully gain consumer uh, attention and uh, positive feelings toward them. And I think the way to do that is first careful environments where they're just around autonomous vehicles, and then slowly brought into somewhat more complex environments, and so on and so forth. But again, this is not something you or I can do. You know, the truth is, this is something that really thoughtful policymakers must take the lead on that. And they need to strategize very carefully in thinking about how to do it. Because obviously they introduced these things in a bad way. And if we had many policies fail, you know, because they've been just introduced in a bad way. And this can obviously set back uh, the adoption. So Although that's, that's you know, the broad suggestions I can make, but you know, in practice is, is what's going to count. Cliff, I, I think we can do because of course I'm trying to do and I think you, you can do also. I mean, uh, the thing that I'm, I'm 
desperately trying to do is, is introduce these things in a community that really needs the mobility. Trenton, New Jersey. I mean, there mm-hmm. are sections of, the, of this town that, uh, that, that in fact, you know, people don't own cars. They don't have the mobility. This is where the real value, the, the real improvement leveling of the playing field could take and bringing them so that that community actually appreciates and, and, and will in some sense protect it, use it, love it, champion it, welcome it, and so on. I mean, it, I, I'm, if well, we can get that sucker right. done, then yeah. in fact it can explode. I, I think, but but you know that's that's not a simple. Yeah, well, again, you can start with that in in something we have already, but you know you could even formalize it, and that's sort of these private van services. You know, the, 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 in certain urban areas, New York is known for this. I think maybe Atlanta too. You know, you have these dollar vans that, that are largely just sort of running up and down, delivering you know lower income people to work. You know, this is something that an autonomous vehicle could be introduced to do. Uh, you can then get the benefit of what you're talking about actually making a difference in people's lives in terms of improving their employment accessibility at a very low cost and hopefully, and again, in a safe environment. You know, it so has to be safe. If it's not safe, it doesn't happen, yeah. right? I mean, we know that, right? Well, it, 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 let's say that the cause gets set back. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to be perfectly it's, safe. So, you know, no. some things are going to go boom here and there, but but it can't be. Hey, you know. Um, um, I mean, I you look back and you and you ask yourself, how did we ever get aviation adopted in this country? Yeah. I, I love that in your book. I love that in your book. Okay, no, I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean it, it, you really yeah. think about just all the things that could go wrong. And, and obviously, that was even, to me, a far more risky technology. And, and, and what was going wrong, I mean, it could and did and whatever yeah. and so yeah. on. But look at but, where you know, we've ended up. I mean. Right. Now it's, you know, now, you know, it's obviously extremely successful in terms of the safety end of it. It's extraordinarily rare now. There's an accident. And even then, there were, there were, you know, there were yeah. great improvements pretty quickly on after the adoption. But there were obviously you know, crashes and people yep. died and, and, and it took a while, but somehow society was able to, you know, make the adjustment and saw it. I don't know, you know, the marketing, if you will, in those days, maybe the, uh, the liability lawyers weren't as powerful as they are now. Um, yep. But, you know, I think that, you know, that, that in some sense is the hope that I said that we can look back on, look, we got this, you know, autonomous vehicles are far less dangerous and have in many ways as much potential as, as aircraft and airline service. So, you know, hopefully we can get some, you know, just intelligent management of public adoption. And I think it, it's really that more than anything. Yeah, Alan, with the community meetings, the point that Cliff made about uh, the potential for fewer police stops, um, that hasn't even been brought up really in the community meetings, I don't think. But look at what it could up. mean. Oh, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's just so terrible what happens, you know. We, we we stop people because there's a warrant for their whatever because they didn't pay or whatever because they had a broken taillight in some community next to here and therefore we stop them, we arrest them, we pile it on and who knows, I mean, you can't get out from under these darn things and why not, don't get me going on that, I mean, why do we have policemen doing that? I mean, yeah. really? I mean, right. you know, they're trained to deal with stuff that's really, you know, whatever. Get them out of the taillight broken business. I mean, come on, never, don't get, I don't. Cliff, Fred, one, of, one of the don't things. Don't do that, it to me, okay? <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble, okay? One, one of the things, Cliff, that we, that we often talk about is how ride sharing is really essential to all of the, the automated technology being, being adopted. Uh, and I wonder what thoughts you might have. But essential for affordability, I think, right, for, you know, right. because, uh, but yeah, Cliff, what, what are but your thoughts? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I was going to well, say I, what, what your thoughts are about the impact long-term or not of, of the pandemic on this and maybe an aversion to, to ride sharing, what, what your thoughts are about it. Well, let's go first, you know, pre-pandemic. I mean, the economics on both the firm side Right, and the consumer side, we're all pushing for ride sharing, right? I mean, you know, the economic forces were clearly pushing autonomous vehicles in that direction, right? From the, yeah, the point of view of the suppliers, right? The point is, 
they make their money now on quote selling one unit their vehicle and depending on how much mileage you use you know you're paying them a very small amount per mile because you buy the, the vehicle you make a lump sum payment you know you drive it x hundred thousand miles but you're never paying them more because you've already just paid them that one lump sum payment and obviously it's not too hard to do the arithmetic for all makers to say, you know, we get a lot more money if we could get paid by the mile. So they certainly would have an incentive for selling a product and service in which they are paid by the mile as opposed to the lump sum unit. And so I talk about that, you know, simple calculation in the book. Now, from the consumer point of view, they have the incentive of why do I want the capital costs of owning a vehicle tying up my money in, in opportunity costs where I could put it elsewhere, not to mention the insurance costs and so on and so forth. Maintenance, the ongoing costs, yeah. All that. And, and the chore of driving, better, as Alan likes to say. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And be much better if, if I could get uh, the vehicle when I want it and pay you know, the actual marginal cost of using it, but without this overhead in terms of the opportunity cost of my money. So all the economics are are going in that direction. With the pandemic, I think that's just a change in the short term in emphasis. So I would think the suppliers are now gonna say, look, we're gonna get probably a lot more attention on the truck side and just helping moving um, supplies and things of that nature, because people need that and we can do that easily now or much easier now and then obviously in the longer term, be ready to now start also then moving people and, and plan for that. So I just think it's just a matter of, of timing that has changed, but the game is still the same. You know, keeping the, the vehicles used for both freight and passengers is just really the timing of them. And then again, you know, really trying to reduce costs on one end in terms of the users and obviously increase revenues on the other end for the suppliers. I, I just, uh, I just, uh, Cliff, I just keep waiting for the big announcement to come out of Amazon. I know nothing about what's going on in Amazon. That Bezos finally says, oh my goodness, I'm going to go out there and, and, and do the delivery of your home with driverless vehicles between yeah. one and five in the morning and so on and so right. forth when there's nobody on the road. And, you know, the announcement that they had not too long ago about maybe buying souks, you know, I think I commented, holy mackerel. Geez, if it's available so cheap, how could you not buy it? Because because the fundamental value to Amazon, I mean, its business model is free shipping. And the closer that they can come to it being actually costing them free <laughs> is... But I think, I, Alan, that leads you into know, exactly the importance of policymakers. Remember, yeah. Amazon cannot do this on its own, right? It, Remember, it, it required, it, right, the government to allow Neuro to do its... Testing. Right, that little small right. step letting Neuro, you know. Neuro, but you know, they've got to, you know, they got to go much further if they're going to let Amazon set this all thing up. And probably the last thing the Trump administration is going to do is help Bezos. Yeah, 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 putting that aside. Yeah, putting that aside. But that's, that's again where we need, you know, the policy community to really see look, we can play a role here that's constructive, get these companies out there. Uh, delivering things that are helpful in the short run of the pandemic and and the, and the process also then testing the vehicles they're doing that again that's being done in China your China yeah, yeah. Is, is as you know is, is, is making use of uh, small autonomous vans for, for medical deliveries yeah. it's obviously something that we could do here but again we need the political leadership to do it again if you look at our, our street system between one and five in the morning you know something like that there's nobody there. There are no yeah. children chasing balls. There's nobody walking. There are no bicyclists out there. There's there are a few deer and, 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 and foxes and so on. But otherwise, there's nobody. I mean, my goodness. Okay, we couldn't get it uh, next hour from, from Jeff, but he could deliver, you know, from the Robbinsville Distribution Center to my house. What the hell? I mean, it's just, and it'd be almost free. <laughs> well, here's a, another point, though, and, and let, we need to be balanced here, is 
I really wish the private sector also would be a little bit more forceful in trying to push this along. So you know, there would be reasons for people like Amazon and other trucking concerns to try to push a little harder and say, look, allow us to start providing these kinds of services, do testing. I know that there's obviously autonomous truck testing with cross country, but sure. you know, something that's a little bit even more down to earth in local communities and saying, look, we could be helpful here, uh, allow us to do this. But you know, I, I think the, the private sector has, has been so timid and concerned in dealing with the government and, and trying to really forcefully you know, get these things out there and get the, get the government behind them, that you know, it, it's, you know, they're just sort of operating at, at arm's length. And, and I think it's unfortunate. I, I think they, the, 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 the private sector too should really push harder on the benefits of what we've talked about, the efficiency and the distributional benefits of autonomous vehicles and being straight with policymakers, look, you've got to work with us, but there are gains on both sides from doing this. So, you know, I, I see things with Mary Barrett talking about how great they are and, you know, maybe saying she's talked with the administration, but you, you, know, you just don't get the sense that there's just, you know, concerted effort to really play as hard as they can with the government and, and trying to get these things out there. I think not just the government, Cliff, uh, as, as Alan has said, they've got to be talking to the public at the same time, yes. getting the support behind this, not just the government, but the people. I think, I, no, I think that's exactly right. And, and I, I'm just not seeing that yet. Now, maybe, you know, they want to be, they're concerned about overselling and, you know, uh, there, there may be an accident or something and it sets it back. But clearly, you, know, you see Elon Musk is going solo on this. Right. I mean, you know, there is somebody who's going to say, look, you know, I'm pushing for these things out there. You know, I'm going to challenge the government to, 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 to prevent me from allowing people to, to, to use the automated feature. Uh, you know, I mean, you see a guy doing that now. You know, this is his thing in gaining publicity and, and, and being somewhat uh, out there. But, you know, I, I think that a again, a thoughtful version of Musk could be effective uh, in, in promoting this technology. As, as typically happens, somebody has to go a little extreme so to get it to yeah. walk back a little bit to practicality. And, and certainly Elon is on the extreme side, but my goodness, you look at what that guy's accomplished, you have to take your hat off. I mean, yeah, he's, um, you know, he's pushed it maybe a little too far, whatever, but man, uh, you know, we uh, uh, earlier this week, Nvidia and uh, and Daimler, I think we'll talk about it. Had, you know, had a big announcement. You know, to do basically what Elon's doing now in starting and getting it out there in 2024. Now, at least they're going to be out there in 2024, <laughs> and it's not later than that. But Mike, holy map, can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> it's really, it's really something he's out there. No, no, I think that's right. And, and I, I think that kind of passion and, and, and marketing and advocacy is important. It's important. Uh, and, 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 and I think, well, you know, doing that, you know, again, in, in, a, in a somewhat thoughtful way in, in reaching yeah. policymakers in the community without appearing reckless. I'm a little without appearing, yeah, no, me I'm too. A, I'm a little concerned that, that, that Musk and Tesla might just go one step too far. And, and as I said, set back the cause a bit. Well, but you know, again, his heart's in the right place. And I just would like to see a broader community in the private sector moving in that direction. And again, reaching out to the public, as, as Fred says, is this I think is quite important. Well, I, I've said that with respect to, to, to Elon with stupid summon, you know. I mean, putting stupid summon out there is just, it's just asking for somebody to to misbehave with it and send their car who knows where that it, it can't go and shouldn't go and whatever without having the proper you know uh, uh conditions on the on the use and and whatever but uh, hey um i guess that's um, that hopefully it's only a small price we need to pay to uh to uh, hopefully it's only a small price Fred. <laughs> we'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. 
And on their website, we should point out, it's a good idea to read the white paper they have there. It's titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Great information there to help you make informed decisions. You may already know that ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk when you're investing and focusing on a particular category. And this site, again, is MOTOETF.com. Getting to some of the headlines in the latest smart driving car newsletter. The National Safety Council says preliminary estimates from all 50 states indicate that during the month of April, there was a more than 36% jump in fatality rates per miles driven compared to the year before. Pretty much the same was true during the month before that. Alan, what's going on here? I don't know. As I comment on there, what? Oh, I, mean, well, I think we, there's a story. I, I, there is. I think there's a story. I, and and uh, I'll let you go first. Yes. And then, uh, you know, please, uh, you know, uh, this is to me, this is this. These are these are data points we need to pay attention to. Is there something going on here that uh, that we need to pay attention to? So, Cliff, go ahead. And then. Yeah, uh, this is this is an interesting research question. Let me, let me back up a little bit. Uh, there was a paper I, I wrote with a colleague, Vikram Maheshri, that first looked at the Great Recession and the phenomena there, which you know, we've seen before, that there was a much sharper decline in fatalities, even controlling for VMT. All right, so we know that obviously with less VMT, that we should have less the, the, uh, fatalities, but this was even more than that. All right, so uh, we continue to see fatalities per VMT decline sharply during the recession. So what's going on? So what we did in, in our paper was explore the idea that really what happens during recessions and that causes this sharp decline is it's a change in the mix of drivers out there. So what the recession is doing is you know the, the the riskier drivers you know are staying home and not driving to the bar you'll know, drink at home or, or something of, of that sort and with that mix of safer drivers then you start to see the, the sharper decline per vm uh, per vehicle mile travel what appears to be interesting, again, and I'm, and I'm hypothesizing this during COVID, is just the opposite is happening. You've got a change in the mix of drivers, okay? But safer drivers, again, people who stay at home and, and have higher incomes, all that kind of thing, they're not out there as much. People have to go in, uh, tend to be riskier drivers, see the reductions in congestion and start going faster. They want to take advantage of that. And lo and behold, either we don't get the decline in fatalities as we once did, or worse, as we see in some states, we actually get a reverse, start seeing more. So I would hypothesize at this point, and this is something we want to explore empirically in, in future work, that again, we're seeing a, a change in the mix of drivers, but what's out there is more on the riskier side because of COVID than the safer side. Now, this plays in nicely to autonomous vehicles because it illustrates what they do. They get rid of the distribution of driver riskiness, right? We're all the same risk when we're in autonomous vehicle. It, it, it take, I, 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 I say that, that, you know, the cause of the accidents, it's not driver error, it's driver misbehavior. And if you get the people that misbehave out there, the people that, that go too fast, the people that run red lights, the people that, that, that tailgate, the, those kind of people, and you put systems out there they cut out the misbehavior. It's not that any of those systems can drive better than any of those people can drive when they're really not misbehaving because we're damn good when we're not misbehaving. But when we misbehave, I mean, all hell breaks loose. And, and, and that's key. Go ahead. Keep going, Cliff. I'm, we're on the same page on this one. Yeah. Right. So that, that's, you know, that's basically the whole point that, you know, we know that driver accidents are a low probability event but you're going to increase your probabilities in terms of certain endogenous choices. That is, these are things you decide to do. Yeah. I decide to run a red light. I decide to drink. Absolutely. It's all misbehavior. It's just not yeah. random. I mean, yeah, yeah. certain people who are more inclined to do this than others. And if we, again, can sort of 
eliminate that, those what we call endogenous choices and stick people at all in autonomous cars, then obviously that's gonna make things much safer. And that's that, that sort of, a, I think ties in well to, to the differences we see in these shocks that, that change VMT, but wind up having different effects on fatality. What, what I'd and like Alan, to you also what, point out that INRIX has data out on this. Yeah, INRIX has some data, but before we get to that, I think with respect to, to who's driving out there, I would really like to see the age distribution of the deaths in, 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 in April and in March versus the, this year versus last year. Because if it turns out that it's, it's the 16, 17-year-olds, the 25-year-olds, which are typically your worst drive, uh, the, the, the drivers that have the, the highest probability of uh, liability coverage, that's where insurance rates are higher for them for good reason. And in fact, those, if they're the ones that are actually out there and, and because of the pandemic have been maybe more cavalier about the pandemic stuff and have been out there, you know, haven't changed their behaviors. Whereas the, the, the risky people, the old people like, like me, I won't include you, Cliff, <laughs> you know, or like <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know, holy heck, we've had driverless cars here since, since, since March, uh, you know, there are cars sitting in the driveway that aren't being driven, you know, but you have all the people that are supposedly the, the safe drivers out there, the people that, that don't do those kinds of things. They haven't been driving. They haven't been going anywhere. They've been staying at home. And, and, you know, there may be out of the distribution, as you point out, of drivers, there could have been a whole darn shift that, in fact, uh, is, it'd be nice if we had data to be able to per pursue and, and see to, to what extent uh, we're correct in that assertion here. Let me also, though, stress another point. Again, you know, accidents are difficult events to predict. In, in, in to, to a pretty significant extent. Yes, we can identify certain what we call observed characteristics. Right. Age, right. education, income, these kinds of things, right? But there, there are also these stochastic things right. that matter. You right. know, I'm upset, I'm not paying attention. Right, you know, I'm, I'm texting everybody when I'm, I'm driving because, because there may have been a heck of a lot yeah. more texting. Fewer right. cars out exactly. there, more texting, you run off the damn road, you're dead. Right. You know? I'm, pissed. I'm pissed off about something. I, I'm stressed because I have to go into work. All these sorts of yeah. things that are unobserved, right, that undoubtedly are probably part of the increase in fatalities. So, and this has always been a problem, really, in safety analysis and policy is that, yeah, you can target certain things, insurance companies try, right? But ultimately, really pinning down the riskiness of any individual driver at any critical point in time is very difficult. And you know, obviously, if, if it weren't, we wouldn't have 40,000 people dying every year. You know, we could come up with some policy that really could sort of weed out the ones that are risky and, and obviously take care of them in some way or have policy that regulates them in some way. I don't but setting that aside, that's, again, that gets back to what autonomous vehicles do. You know, they're dealing with the unobserved factors. We no longer have to worry about, you know, that they're texting or they're pissed off or not paying attention, whatever. They're yeah. in that car. And that's just so important. And again, something that uh, I think it makes it clear, you know, why, the, why these vehicles are going to do so much for safety. Alan, did you want to comment on uh, on what Inrix came out with? Oh, yeah, the, well, the I think Inrix, yeah, Inrix has been putting out uh, some very good data simply because they have so many observations out there. I mean, they're claiming that uh, that their data that they're putting out is is a representation of ten percent of the daily trips, you know, and uh, you know, daily trips in the U.S. Uh, you know, at least before the pandemic was you know a billion, billion two. Uh, 1.2 billion trips a day, and they're out there, you know, talking about uh, processing uh, 100 million of these things. Now, whether or not they're actually trips or their observations at a point or whatever, and so on and so forth, I think there's some detail there. But what they end up, up uh, having is in terms of at least a measure of the amount of activity that is out there on the roadway system. 
uh, both uh, geographically distributed and temporally distributed. This is, you know, this is data that we've never had opportunity to have before. So at least they can they can compare, you know, uh, what's been happening since they've had the, the, you know, that data set, and they've done a very nice job. And I provide a bunch of links for people to look at and go and take a look at it. But I think it's it's really good now whether it's actually vehicle miles traveled that they're actually computing or just the you know number of observations past the point which is not vehicle miles traveled somehow you need a you need a, a function out there that takes sense says hey there's a trip from a to b and it went there and we counted up the miles and do but you know short of that uh, i mean it's it's really good stuff and it's it's nice to see out there what i've also been trying to find and, and it doesn't see enormous lag is that to me, in terms of the amount of activity that's out there, uh, I just like to know the number of gallons of, of gasoline consumed for which there was a gasoline tax paid. Since that's done at the wholesale level, that is a measure, you know, of uh, of what's going on. Sure, there have been improvements in 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 um, in the uh, efficiency of uh, of vehicles and the vehicle fleet, uh, but uh, that doesn't change all that much. Uh, certainly not this year to last year. And and uh, you know to me that's that's a real measure of the amount of 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 activity that's been out there in the automobile or in the diesel area, but you have to only count the stuff for which there's gas tax paid for, and some, you know that it's not completely straightforward. But I don't know, Cliff, where what do you look at the, some of those measures out there that uh, are the real indicators? Well, no, I know th I think you know ev evidence on quote congestion delays. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, 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 you know, does those kinds of things. I mean, we certainly see reductions in congestion. And frankly, just, you know, the few, limited time that I'm out on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that'll, that'll, that'll pretty much tell you that, you know, you're not seeing the backups that you once did. Um, I mean, uh, at least in my experience. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like to me, it was, there was nobody out there. I mean, there's nobody a while. Out there. I mean, Jesus, yeah. it used to be, well, never mind. I, yeah. Anyway, but it's, it's, it's actually good data. They've done a very nice job. Uh, uh, can they do better? Of course, we can all do better always, but, you know, it's really good. We were talking about trucking before. Uh, New Flyer of America, which is part of the NFI group, uh, top independent bus manufacturer, uh, is saying it will, well, this isn't trucking, this is buses. Uh, they're saying they'll deploy three 40-foot electric transit buses in Connecticut in an automated driving demonstration project. I guess this is a, a start up there. Yeah, I know. I, you know, it's good to do. I mean, the yeah. thing is, is if you if you have a big bus, you're expecting a lot of riders. There means that there's a lot of people that contribute for for a driver or an attendant, so you can afford it. The real problem in mobility is uh, where you, when you can't fill a bus, and you need you, there's only onesies, twosies, or threesies, or foursies that want to go, and that's really to me what what the whole driverless mobility machine is is out there trying to serve is is those things and that that to me that's that's the demand that's out there there are a few places that yes between a and b at a certain time you can fill up a bus but if you look at you know if you look at the way people move around at 1.2 billion trips again that take place on a typical day in normal times in the united states you know they just don't coalesce that well to to be moved by big buses but yeah it's great yeah, Cliff, Cliff was talking about China before. Uh, Didi is aiming for a million robo-taxis. This was in a New York Times story uh, recently on its platform by 2030. Yeah, and they, they say that they're looking to, to basically deploy those where they have uh, trouble uh, getting drivers to go provide mobility. And I think, you know, to me, that's it's a heck of a lot easier to have an algorithm uh, manage a, a fleet of uh, driverless mobility machines and to try to convince a bunch of people to go pick people up someplace and so on and take them and provide a good level of service and e equal level of service to everybody. So as we know throughout history, uh, you know, machines have, have displaced the, the blood, sweat and tears of individuals. <laughs> And when they can do that uh, more more economically efficient, guess what? The um, the blood, sweat, and tear of the uh, the individual moves down the chain. So you know, uh, great. Fred, let Cliff. me let me mention a, a, you know, a couple of concerns that that, that I think uh, 
you're getting at here that I actually do talk about in the book, and and and, and probably a little more cold-blooded than than uh, non-economists might. I mean, the first one is on transit, and and I make it pretty pretty clear that you know I feel that autonomous vehicles and, and shared autonomous transportation will be the death now, transit. And I think that's a good thing. And, and the but, reason but wait, is Cliff, simply, can, can I just, why yeah. is it the death? Why isn't it transit? Transit is the provision of mobility as a service. It, no, 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 it, I'm talking about public transit, transit, bus, bus. The, 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 oh, okay, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mass transit, sorry. A big thing yeah. and a wait around. We're only going to give it, uh, provide it every so often when yeah. we can accumulate enough people from a very few points and make you go between yeah. those points. No, no, mass transit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me stress, though, the, 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 the importance of this. And that, that is that people do not realize how much money we spend on bus and urban rail in this country. I mean, the subsidies are enormous. These are billions and billions of dollars each year for an incredibly small share of ridership that is shrinking. You know, more people now stay home and work. This is pre-pandemic than use transit. And so, you know, I think it is just increasingly clear that whatever, you know, socioeconomic demographic changes, you know, Transit has just not been able to adjust. And the cost, the social cost of supporting transit is just becoming increasingly high to the point now where people now see, yes, autonomous vehicles as a form of transit, right? This is gonna be something that is not only just economically efficient, but then sort of rid society of the huge subsidies. And again, multi-billions that they're paying out for these transit systems. And I think people will realize- It provides look, a better yeah. service. It, it actually, you know, right. takes a the person from where they are to where they want to go, as opposed to having to go here and go there right. and then hoof it and wait. And walk. No, keep going. You're a win-win, so a win, win, so win, win, but you know, there are many transit advocates in this, in, in this world. And obviously these are the kinds of people that are less than enthusiastic about autonomous vehicles who quote, fear more vehicles out on the road. We can deal with that issue in a second. But, but as I said, the death knell of what I call, yes, public mass transit bus and rail, this is going to be a positive thing and society should allow it to happen. Second, on labor, you, know, you, you were briefly touching on the fact that what happens with new technologies and people change. Yes, when we had cars, we no longer had people that would have to shovel the city streets to clear the manure off the roads. Well, yes. There will be changes in employment in the driver's seat, but obviously there'll be other changes that, again, I discussed, will clearly offset that. The improvements in efficiency and greater output will obviously lead to more people employed. And of course, the new technologies themselves will create jobs. So I think, again, I don't know how much you, you get into this in your other discussions, but a lot of the concerns about transit, uh, sorry, about autonomous vehicles have flipped on the right side and really seeing the costs of trying to keep some of the things that we have are really offset when we move forward in a world with transit. And let me just mention that one point uh, just to anticipate your know, concerns, too many cars out on the road. Look, this then gets back to the inefficient policies that we've had for non-autonomous vehicles. And it is really crucial to start thinking of introducing congestion pricing as almost a built-in feature of autonomous vehicles, as in some sense, they could be thought of right now in shared vehicles. People don't object strenuously when they have to pay some sort of toll when they're in an Uber or some additional charge when they're in an Uber or even surcharges for that matter. So I don't think it's gonna to be too difficult to get people used to paying these kinds of charges, which will be very important in smoothing uh, demand. Uh, throughout the day. And if I can just conclude on one thing, because I'm seeing that we're running a little time. No, 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 we, uh, no, we're going to go on. I don't know. We're keeping you, Cliff. We're not leaving. <laughs> this is too much fun. <laughs> that, you know, you, you know, my book is sometimes thought of as an optimistic perspective on autonomous vehicles. And to some extent it is, but in some sense, it's, I think it's more important to see it as almost a necessary perspective. And here's why I'm saying that. Again, I'm not sure if you get into this, but going back during the Great Recession, you know, the argument for government assistance of General Motors 
and, and Chrysler was that if they failed, they would take down the manufacturing sector with them. And they would turn our great recession into a great depression. These are the arguments that Larry Summers, Austin Goolsby, Alan Kruger, you know, would make these kinds of arguments. You know, we're going to know whether, whether they're right, that we really need to do that. You know, I, in full disclosure, Bob Crane and I wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal said, no, we should actually allow for a reallocation of resources now and allow the Japanese automakers to pick up the trucks that those guys were producing and let the cars go, which is what they wound up doing anyway. But setting all that aside, you know, it was really thought to, to be very important for the automotive sector to succeed. Well, if it was important then, it's important now, because obviously the auto companies are all in on autonomous vehicles, or autonomous EV, and this is their future, right? They're not thinking that, you know, they're going to be, their future is in gas-powered cars. The technology companies are in. They better not fail. If they fail, we are really going to have one hell of an economic mess. If people thought there was going to be one just from uh, GM and Chrysler going down, then you can only imagine what will happen if both auto companies and technology companies fail in their success at autonomous vehicles, right? So almost, I mean, I believe with all the resources going into this and obviously the huge incentives for success and even the disincentives for failure that there will be success. But if there is somebody you know, who truly has some insight and you know, I've come across enough critics in the technology world about autonomous vehicles. They ought to be screaming from the rooftops that these things will not succeed and not be the kind of people that, you know, a lot of people were like this in the Great Recession. Oh, I knew there was gonna be a problem, you know, in the housing markets and banks and all that, sure. I mean, they really need to do a public service and explain to the world why these will fail. Because if they do, it'll be calamitous. I don't, I don't think they will, and as I said, it's almost out of necessity. Um, but I think that's a very important point uh, to bear in mind how one's thinking about this. Well, I, I of course think, I agree with you. I think that they're absolutely critical and they're critical uh, on the congestion side because part of our congestion problem is that we're in the car by ourselves. Why? Because there's no mechanism for me to share a ride with my neighbors. We've not set up the communication, the infrastructure, anything like that. Although if somebody's providing a service, all of a sudden we may just haphazardly we, we've got to get the ride sharing somehow, which is a, you know, which is a problem. We get the, the average vehicle occupancy from one to two, there's no congestion, okay? I mean, so, I mean, and you don't have to go beyond two because right out there, out there, it's really one. Anyway, that's a whole, that's one thing. The other thing is, is on the transit side, I just don't understand why New Jersey Transit isn't looking at this and saying, oh my goodness, instead of serving only 4% of the trips in New Jersey, if we had, because, that's all we can do. We can serve the trips to New York. We can serve some bus lines in Newark. But otherwise, holy hell, it's terrible. We have opportunity to serve maybe 10% of the trips, 20% of the trips, 40% of the trips. If we can manage small vehicles to provide demand that is like what we provide ourselves when we drive. I've heard nobody in the transit industry even thinking about this as the great rebirth of mobility. Uh, mobility is a service, if you want to call. That's fundamentally what this provides and the opportunity for that. Now, if they're not going to do it, then it's going to be a Waymo that's going to come in here and do it. It's going to be a, a Zooks. It's going to be an Aurora. It's going to be a GM Cruise. It's going to be a Ford or, or, uh, um, Aurora. It's going to be a, a DD. It's going to be an Uber, a Lyft, or somebody else that's going to do it, and damn it, New Jersey Transit's going to be out there, okay, we'll run trains to New York, great, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Great point, Alan. This is Alan, all so much fun. <laughs> Alan, you had spoken before about the yeah. NVIDIA Daimler yeah. thing. Do you have anything more you want to add? No, to I, that think, I think it's, it's really good. I'm glad they're doing it. I think NVIDIA, you know, in the end, to, to do this, you need the compute power. You, that has to be there. That Luckily, that's a Moore's Law type of thing, and all we need to do is wait a little bit longer, and it'll become twice as powerful and, and, and half as expensive. I mean, love Moore's Law. Law, okay, which more things behave like Moore's Law, and it seems like it's still out there. So 
certainly Nvidia has been been pushing that. It's nice to see Mercedes out there doing that. But but again, it, it's not to provide mobility to the one percenters. It's not to give me you know. I already have 14 ways to get from A to B. You know, I don't need a 15th way. To me, hopefully it gets down to, hey, let's go to places where it really can can uh, improve the the quality of life to the people who've been left behind. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, uh, we right. talked about it earlier. Yeah, you know, right. Tesla, of course, is in the newsletter once again. One yeah. of the things that you brought up was uh, Tesla's autopilot now knowingly able to drive through green lights, and there's some video out there. And Burger King discovered that Tesla autopilot confuses Burger King signs for stop signs sometimes. Yeah, so Burger King <laughs> is putting in an ad. I mean, I mean, Elon's getting free advertising out of it. Plus, you know, you better pay attention to make sure that if your little thing says, hey, yeah, there's a green light ahead, that you look up and you see that it's actually green um, because, you know, nothing's perfect. You know what? I think free advertising is the only advertising Tesla does. I don't think they spend a nickel on it. It's, 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 it's Actually, <laughs> your, your mention of Burger, Burger King, let me, let me go back a little bit to some of our <laughs> earlier points. You are not going to have an autonomous vehicle as its, quote, final destination be to park in a drive-through of a fast food restaurant. That is not going to happen. <laughs> that is not going to happen. No, no. Keep They're that in come mind. To you with the park in a parking space and will not attract attention to the police. No, no, no. And for a lot of, absolutely. And hopefully we weren't at a point where we now send our car to go get stuff at Burger King. Uh, I don't think that, that, that's a whole what, clip. We have to have you back and we can discuss that whole thing. <laughs> you know, we're, go ahead, Fred. Finally, uh, a moment of silence for Segway, which had been mm -hmm. sold to Ninebot of China five years ago. And now comes word that production of this Segway personal transporter will end July 15th. No more seg hold. I mean, I don't know, whatever, uh, you know, again, once again, that was supposed to be the transportation system of the future. Many years ago, I was the biggest fan of something called personal rapid transit. And, um, and I remember, I think it was the head of GM came up to me at, at, a, at a conference and, and put his arm around me and he said, Alan, you know, personal rapid transit, the transportation system of the future and always will be. Oh, man, you know, boom, ba-ba-boom, whatever. You know, what can we do, Cliff? You know, looking in the future is, is not an easy thing, right? <laughs> Damn good thing it isn't, because otherwise we'd be really bored and life wouldn't be worth living, and there's a whole other thing on that. Fred? <laughs> well, be, before we wrap up, uh, you should know about the Zoom tank session that took place this past Tuesday, a great discussion with the title Insurance for or Against Smart Driving Cars. We encourage you to check it out at zoom-tank.com. Uh, check in there for what's next in the series as well. There's also planning going on, Alan, for the Smart Driving Car Summit this fall, and it's looking like it's going to be virtual. Yeah, it looks like you know I'm I'm probably going to want it to be virtual in in a sense. Uh, you know, it uh, things just aren't shaping up the way they seem, and to bring a bunch of people to Princeton campus in October just. Uh, uh, just uh, isn't doesn't seem to be the the kind of thing that uh, that um, that is likely to happen and and or or should happen. Uh, and uh, also, I think we're finding with some of these things, and if we can improve some of these uh, things, that it, that we might be able to do a, a really good session uh, uh, virtually. And uh, and to do that, uh, even talking to some of the original um, uh, developers in. Uh, in Second Life, and um, and uh, you know we sort of have uh, possibly thinking about the, doing it in Second Life. I mean, you know, bring back Second Life uh, for the <laughs> Smart Driving Car Summit. I mean, I don't know, whatever. Um, we continue to have fun uh, and uh, really try to look at ways, but but for people to to really have a meaningful interaction and, and a meaningful exchange. 
Um, we're looking at various ways to do that. And, uh, and I think everybody would like to be able to get together if, if, if it is even just virtually. So um, um, we're, we're, we're working on something, but, but I think in terms of uh, thoughts of coming to Princeton in October for a conference, I think uh, we should basically put that behind us for now. So a word to the wise, start working now on what you would like your avatar to look like. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> what you'd like us to create in Second Life, and we'll sell you some land. You want to buy some property? I'm, I'm gonna get that's like the ads I've been seeing for buying an acre of land on Mars. But yeah, what the <laughs> hell? You know, back in the 50s, there were people were selling square inches or square feet in Kissimmee, Florida, should have bought some of that damn stuff, you know. Uh, well, that'll do it for this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF, again, is MOTO. And more information is available at MOTOETF.com. Really want to thank Cliff Winston for joining us. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Great. Discussion. That's the like nicest it. thing you could say to us, that you enjoyed it. Because <laughs> that's, that's all we're trying to do. <laughs> the name of the book, once again, is Autonomous Vehicles, The Road to Economic Growth, with a question mark. You can find us at Smart and the, and the link to it, And the link to it is on the Smart Driving Car um, 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 uh, e-letter. Uh, so you can go right to Amazon and order your advanced copy. And Cliff, where's the best place for people to go for more info on, on that and, and all your work? Oh, Brookings. I mean, just look at, uh, I think the Brookings website should have that and has all the books. Thanks, Cliff. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please stay safe.